Thank you for getting chlamydia and letting me exploit it. <laughs> Girl. All right, I'm ready. Can you hear me now? What happened was I got on Tinder. That's usually where these stories begin, right? Hi, welcome to Positively Positive. If you're new here, my name is Sarah, and today we're diving into a very common STI, the popular jock of STIs, if you will. It's chlamydia. We have my very first man guest, Mr. Courtney Bram, at H on my chest on Instagram. He is the founder of the charity and podcast, Something Positive for Positive People, which started as and still serves as a suicide prevention resource, bridging mental health and sexual health. We're going to chat about his experiences and I'll get to some technical info after that. So let's talk about chlamydia, baby. Welcome, Courtney. Is there anything you want to add to let people know who you are? No, that was good. Uh, I wanted to make background noise and be like, for the introduction, sound like people were cheering and screaming for you. I'm very happy that uh, you're having guests on now. This is really awesome and I'm happy to be here. So a lot of people come to you and your resources after an HSV diagnosis, but we're not talking about that today. You're not the host, you're the guest. It's your story to tell. So let's just get right into it. <sighs> what happened? <laughs> well, what happened was I got on Tinder. That's usually where these stories begin, right? All right. Relatable. <laughs> oh, well, so to begin with, um, I had just gotten out of a relationship December 2019. Uh, I was in that relationship for about two and a half years, and it was a monogamous relationship. And once it ended, I was like, hmm, all right, I don't think I'm monogamous, and tried to just explore what that experience would be like for myself and settle into a place that felt right for me and what was most fitting for what it was that I was looking for. So I met up with someone for the first time since my breakup. Uh, I met her at a conference and we connected over social media, stayed in touch and eventually hooked up. The process there was smooth as can be. It was very a thing that H on my chest would do. Hey, I'm gonna get tested, you get tested as well. We exchanged results, talked about it, and we made plans to see each other, had sex, everything was fine. Fast forward to one of my next interactions, one of my next sexual encounters to May. Uh, it wasn't May, May I started hooking up with someone new who started just as beginning as dating, right? So we were dating, hooking up, and at that point in time, I was seeing, I can't say I was seeing multiple people. I had seen someone and then there was no real goal in mind for where that was going. The pandemic hit and that really scrambled things because the person that I was seeing at that point in time most consistently had to go away to Texas in order to quarantine. So next person that I bring into my dating life that I start dating, she and I, were using condoms right away, of course. I had the conversation about uh, having herpes. I was last tested within the last three months. I try to make it to where I'm tested within every three months, even if I'm only sexually active with one partner. That's just what my routine is, especially since I found a place that to do it for free and like, you gotta do a show up. So we were, we had our conversation about when we were last tested and I remember her being like, it had been a while, but she said it was about eight months since she'd been tested. So I was fine with carrying on using condoms. And we go through May, we go through June, we go through early July. And it was in early July that 
we had a conversation it was like well nobody's showing any symptoms or anything of anything so yeah we can we're having sex most consistently with each other so we can get rid of using condoms so we don't use condoms first time's fine first weeks fine first maybe two weeks into us not using condoms and i didn't know this so I'm, i want to tell the story and then like piece back the things that set off the red flag radar so thursday before i left for a weekend to go out of town we had sex and i didn't pee right afterwards so when i woke up the next morning like the first piss that you take after having sex or masturbating in the morning is usually one that's like ah like a very ah sensation if you know what i mean like ah that that like i don't really know how to describe it beyond that so i took it and i remember kind of like a slight little the fuck was that that was different all right it is what it is so i peed i got up I packed my stuff i'm out of town and i'm out of town and on saturday night of me being out of town this was july i ended up hooking up with someone and we had the same conversation chose to wear a condom and we had sex and like 15 minutes into sex, I lost my erection. And I was like, what is happening? I don't know what this is. So I just stopped and like abruptly just stopped having sex. I went to the bathroom, I threw the condom away. I was just looking, I was like, what the fuck was that? Right? So get dressed because we were supposed to go out somewhere. And she asked me a little while later. She was like, hey, did you get off? I was like, no no explanation or anything so i'm chalking it up at this point to the alcohol so go out have a good time whatever and then the next day try to have sex again and it just does not like happen so like she's going down on me and i'm like whoa nothing's working right now fast forward to monday i noticed that over the course of the entire weekend that my urine had been coming out slowly. And I thought that perhaps this is because I was dehydrated. So I started Googling on Monday. I'm like, oh no, what? the Google wormhole. Yeah, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. I either had a UTI, which is rare for men, or I had prostate cancer. So. <laughs> right, obviously. Was, yeah, so I didn't want to take any chances on it being anything in between that. I started to get like whatever they recommend for if a man has a UTI and then see what would have happened after that. But something just told me, it was like, Courtney, go to the doctor because if it is prostate cancer, Let's deal with it now. Worst case scenario, that was it. Tuesday morning, I'm one of the first people at urgent care. And mind you, it's a pandemic. So lines around the corner and everybody's getting tested for COVID. So the lady comes to me, she goes, hey, well, what are you dealing with? Or what are your symptoms? What brings you here? She asked me, are you getting tested for COVID? I was like, no, uh, I'm having what I think are UTI symptoms, but I don't know. And so she wrote it down and what seemed like forever. Like an hour and a half, two hours go by, and then I'm finally up next in line. So I go inside, and at this point, I think I noticed that my butt hurt. And by my butt, I mean inside the anus. It just felt like a sharp pain in what is the prostate. At that point in time, I was like, what's wrong with my ass? Didn't think anything else of it. So I go in, and they see me, and the nurse asks me, she's like, do you think you might have an STI? And I didn't think anything of it because I had just gotten my test results back in within the last two or three weeks. And so I was like, no, I don't have a reason to be concerned because of that, but still treat me accordingly. Like I made sure that that was the thing that I said. They also tested me for COVID because they had to, I guess. 
that came back negative. And then the lady asked me what my symptoms were. So I let her know, well, I noticed that when I pee, it comes out slowly. And I assumed that maybe it was because I was dehydrated, I had been drinking, so maybe that was what it was, but it wasn't. <laughs> so I let her know about my butt and she had me lean over on the side of the table and she put her finger in my butt when she got it in there. I was like, ow! It was very like uncomfortable, painful, hurt. And so she took her finger out and she was, oh, okay, well, walks out of the room, comes back. I get a sheet of paper that says prostatitis on it, inflamed prostate. I'm reading about it and this is something that can cause erectile dysfunction. You have no idea how happy I was to see that that was what it was because I was like, <laughs> damn, I'm, I'm 32, I can't, or I was 31 at the time, I can't have this, not now, why? <laughs> That's the thing I'm most concerned about, right? right? Not the fact that I almost had prostate cancer. So she sends me out with the prescription for some uh, anti, no, not antibacterial. Antibiotics. <laughs> Goes to show you how often I deal with like medical stuff, right? Gives me antibiotics and I leave. So I'm reading the paper. I didn't really get much instruction. I didn't even think I needed to go and pick up the prescription because it's that goes away on its own. So I was like, huh, all right, well, it is what it is. I go home and mind you, this is a Tuesday. So Tuesday I'm at home, I'm chilling. And I let my partner know at the time who I was having unprotected sex with. I was like, yeah, so I went to the doctor. I had prostatitis, yay, that was all it was. Nothing to be worried about. Tuesday goes by, Wednesday goes by, Thursday goes by. Friday hits and she and I have sex again. Saturday hits, Sunday hits. About 8 a.m. I get a phone call from an unknown number, they call me and they go, hey, is it Courtney, can you verify the date of birth? I give it to them and they ask me, or they tell me that my test results were in for gonorrhea, I tested negative, and then he paused. And he goes, your chlamydia results came back positive. And I was sitting here and like, for all the sex positivity and <laughs> STI knowledge that I have now about how common these things are, my visceral reaction was still, what the fuck? This is not supposed to happen to me because I did everything right in my mind at that point in time. So I, I just asked him, I was like, how long are you guys open today? He goes, well, we're open until 8 p.m. I was like, all right, I'll be there later. Oh no, I think I asked that guy, I think it was him that I asked. I asked someone if I would have potentially re-exposed myself, do I need to come in and be retreated? That was what I asked. He said, yeah, it'd be best to just come in. So I go in and I'm, I'm pissed at this point because nobody told me that it could have been an SCI. Otherwise I wouldn't have had sex. So I go in and I'm at the front desk. It's at toward the end of the day on a Sunday. So nobody's there. Lady goes, oh, what brings you in today? I go, chlamydia. And then she looks up at me and her eyes got real huge. Like she couldn't believe I said that. They're confused because I was just there earlier in the week and I've come back <laughs> for something they had already treated me for. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm just sitting there like mad that no one told me that this might have been chlamydia. And I'm thinking, well, shit, now I got to tell the person that I had hooked up with over the weekend. And like, how embarrassing is that? The first time we hook up, I don't even give you fully hard dick the entire time. And I got to tell you, I almost, I might have given you chlamydia. I'm sitting there and I'm like, my legs switching in the doctor's office. And then the nurse comes out. And she's looking at my chart and she goes, hey, so it looks like, and she's like very hesitant to just say whatever she's trying to say. So I go, yes, I was just recently treated earlier this week for chlamydia and I will have reinfected myself. I was discharged with prostatitis and I wasn't informed that I might've had an SCI. She goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, I just wanted to make sure we didn't like give you too much antibiotics. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? 
didn't think anything of it. She leaves the room, comes back with the uh, chlamydia medication, and I take it. Is this the same like, medication that they gave you the first time? Like, are they giving you the same thing? Okay. Yeah, there were four or five little orange or pink pills. There were orange or pink, one of the two. But for the gonorrhea treatment, I had to get a shot. Like, in case it was gonorrhea, I got a shot in the butt and then the chlamydia um, treatment were the pills. So the first time I came, I got a shot and pills. They gave that to you preemptively, the chlamydia pills, yes. or is it the same thing to treat the prostatitis? So, interesting enough, when I did my own research at home, I found out that prostatitis is caused by a bacterial infection of two different types of bacteria. The words, the root word were gonorrhea, gonorrhea or something, and then chlamydia, chlamydia something. I don't remember the exact words, but it was like, chlamydia was what caused me to have prostatitis, which is what caused me to go into the urgent care for treatment. So my chlamydia symptoms themselves were so mild, slow pee, that I didn't think anything of it because I had friends that told me that they had chlamydia or gonorrhea uh, and SCI, and they were talking about bleeding from their penis or it burned when they pee. Nothing about slow urination being the symptom. When I got the treatment for the medication, I was just told, don't have sex for two weeks. And that was it. Like that was the end of it. So I even walked out of there just being like, damn, no one felt comfortable talking to me about what happened as far as this being an SCI, as far as this leading up to prostatitis or me reinfecting my partners or letting recent partners know or any of that. So maybe they just assumed, all right, I should know better, or maybe they assumed that was a lost cause, but I was really pissed because immediately in my mind, I thought to myself, okay, I am now going to account for two of those cases that show up on the annual STD report because I would have reinfected myself and no one told me, hey, you might have an STI, so let your partners know, don't have sex for two weeks. No one said that. So I get home and the woman that I hooked up with over the weekend, like she's texting me and I'm like, ah, shit, how am I gonna do this? So we're just making some small talk and then I had to like cut it off after a three to four or five text exchange. And I was like, so I need to tell you that I just tested positive for chlamydia. I let her know what my symptoms were. And it was very matter of fact, like here's what happened. This happened. You know, it's embarrassing as fuck. For me, I should know better. I should totally know better, right? And then the first time we hook up, this is what I do. It, it wasn't even that good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. she was very receptive. She was like, oh, well, you know, thanks for telling me. Um, it just sucks that you know, I got to make time to go test it. And so I just told her, well, let me, I Venmoed her for uh, an at-home test kit. So I had her pay for it. And then I just sent her a Venmo for it. I felt like it was the right thing to do for me. So I went on ahead and did that. And then I had to tell my partner who I would have contracted it from as well to get herself checked. And she just didn't have any symptoms at all. Then over the period of the time that I couldn't have sex, I think it had been like eight days or nine days, the partner that I met at the beginning of quarantine who needed to leave came back in town, just so happened to be back in town during that window and was like, hey, I can stop by for a minute, but not long, it'd be nice to see you. So she stops by for a minute, not long, we see each other, we talk, catch up and make out and then she leaves. So she hits me up a little bit later and is like, ooh, hey, I got some extra time tonight and I'm feeling horny. And I'm like, oh. So I had to just sell her. Well, I just tested positive for chlamydia and I got to take the medication and I'm in my two week window of where I shouldn't have sex. 
And so she asked a few questions like about wearing condoms still or anything, or if I was experiencing symptoms at all. And I was like, well, I'm not sure. So I'm just gonna go with doctor's orders of waiting two weeks. So that was where we, we left it off there. But it was just really embarrassing to me more than anything to not have to just tell one person, two people, but I had to tell a third person that I had chlamydia, right? Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> Yeah, so first one I get, because this was my first time being diagnosed with an STI that was curable. As you know, I have herpes, but that was way different than what this disclosure was, especially because, you know, it just goes back to maybe I gave this to somebody else. Looking back Thursday when I peed, that was probably the worst of the symptoms, which wasn't even a symptom, which was that initial pain that came out when I went to pee after not having peed right after sex. So it was just like a little, oh, like a slight but knee buckle. And then over the weekend, it was just like, as much as I was drinking, I wasn't peeing a lot when I went to go pee. That was another sign. And then the erectile dysfunction was what got my attention. <laughs> Surprise <laughs> me, right? Um, that was what got my attention. And then my butt just happened to start hurting when I had already made my appointment to go into urgent care facility. After my second time of being discharged, I looked at the medication and it was like, you want to make sure that you clear the prostatitis completely. Otherwise it can come back or it could be chronic. And so I had to take the medication. I couldn't drink for a month. I had to go to a wedding. I couldn't drink at the wedding. Uh, it was frustrating, but it happened and I just had to deal with it. So I take all the medication, which it was a month of the antibiotics for prostatitis. It's cleared. And then I waited a while before I went and got tested again and it was clear, but it is possible for you to have chlamydia resurface or to have not all the way cleared. So did your partner, the one that you weren't using condoms with, did she have to get treatment as well? Yes, yes. So when I told her, she made her appointment right away and she was able to go in and get treated as well. She did test positive, but uh, they treated her on the spot because she said that she had been exposed to it or that I had had it. I like to remind people that paranoia is a normal thing that comes along with STIs. From talking to you over the past year or so and like following your work, I see you as someone who has boundaries and safer sex practices in place, which as you said, you know, STIs don't play by the rules. Has this changed any of your boundaries or practices or increased paranoia for you? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um here's the thing so and this may be a very extreme thing but i had like a visceral reaction to something that my partner said about someone that she was seeing i didn't know much about him it was just the, this was someone who had already been in the picture i just hadn't heard much except for this one thing and this one thing sounded like some toxic shit. and i remember going huh all right but at this point it would have been too late because we had already started sleeping together undetected and so time passes and I test positive. So I was like, hey, tell me about your relationship with this dude. And sure enough, it was toxic. <laughs> that was what it was. It was just like, a, uh, it was insane chemistry, but they just, they weren't able to be honest with each other. And at the time, you know, I know that I'm not monogamous and I'm dating someone who's single. I think that there is a major difference between the two because it's the default for many of us is in fact monogamy. So when I presented myself as not monogamous to her, we knew that at that point in time, or I knew and she knew that she wasn't really taking me seriously, which is a whole nother conversation about like the invalidating of relationship structures or relationship styles. So the conversation led me 
to having this extreme boundary of, I don't know that it's a good idea for me to be with someone who allows for themselves to be treated poorly or have their boundaries disrespected by another partner. Anyone who doesn't feel like their boundaries are respected in a partnership, relationship, or even a casual thing, whatever it is, I think that it's important to be able to talk to your other partners about safer sex, sexual health, period, for the simple fact that having that open streamline of communication gives everybody the trust that, all right, if someone thinks they have chlamydia or they think they have an STI, they're going to like make the texts and calls and need to be made to be like, hey, I might have exposed you to something. This pausing, freezing of further interactions between other partners is what's going to keep it from getting uh, more out of hand, I guess you could say, or from that person who may not have known their status to be able to go and get treated and inform all of their partners. The petty stuff, like I can see with toxicity, you know, someone could have tested positive, gotten it, and then just been like, I'm not saying anything because I'm sure she's effing other people. So I'm going to keep it to myself. I don't want no parts of that. If there's someone who's mistreating a partner and they're allowing it, if there's someone who doesn't have their boundaries respected, it's best that I just stay away from that completely. So that has been probably hands down the most adjusted boundary that I have in relation to that, because if I'm also being intimate with other people, then I need to be able to extend to the best of my ability that same level of trust to them that I'm looking out for their sexual health and that my sexual health is being looked out for by other partners. I wish it wasn't a tall order in my mind, but I feel like it is almost to have, I agree 100%. And then I'm thinking about like non-monogamy and it's like, okay, you have to make sure this partner has boundaries with all their partners. And now you have to make sure this partner has all their boundaries with their partner. Like it's just such a big web almost that sounds exhausting to try and manage. I think it's the right well, way to go. It just sounds, it sounds so tiring. I wish everyone had boundaries. You know, I recently only really learned how to enforce them. Why? And, and this is probably one of the more big questions, but why is that level of human decency so mind-boggling, you know? Why yeah. can't people just not treat each other like crap? Or why can't people not be abusive? Why can't people walk away from abuse? It, to me, says that I'm looking for partners who are in, who I'm not taking advantage of, or I'm not like using or abusing, but people who are in healthier places of being able to communicate and, you know, maybe boundaries isn't the word that they use, but have a moral code of how they relate to people. Yeah. So that was probably more of an accurate statement. But again, you know, it just sucks that this isn't the default. The default isn't basic human decency. Why should that be a luxury? Yeah. I was talking with some of my guy friends and they were like talking about a girl one of them was seeing and they were like, you know, she's so sweet and everything and like we have so much fun, but like it's casual, it's casual and other people in the group kept being like, well, why do you treat her so nice if it's just casual? Like, why are you cooking dinner when you're hanging out if it's just casual? And honestly, like props to my friend, I try and keep good company, but they were like, they said they're like, 
just because it's casual doesn't mean you have to treat someone like shit. Like, I'm trying to have fun when I hang out too. And if I treat her like shit, I'm going to feel like shit and probably get treated like shit in return. I don't know why other people were like flabbergasted at that. I'm like, yes, thank you for being a decent human being. You should be the norm. Yeah, I've seen people post. This was one place in particular. You may have seen this as well. The question was, I'm seeing a fuck buddy or I have a friend with benefits. Do I get her a Valentine's Day gift? She's like, well, <laughs> if you want to do something nice for her, do something nice for her. Like, we don't have to completely cut off the ability to connect more deeply or to have feelings for or to love one another just because we're having sex. Like, we don't have to separate these things. If that's how you choose to do things, then that's how you choose to do things. But make sure that the other person's aware of that. Let this be a mutual uh, understanding of, hey, this is how I want the relationship to look. What about you? All right, you too, cool. So now we can just be decent human being, human beings who can go back to that structure that we agreed upon in the beginning when it's time to revisit boundaries, when things shift, when someone catches feelings or they take an action that goes against the um, initially agreed upon structure of the relationship. And that's why boundaries need to be normalized because they teach us how to, how to set these foundations and navigate relationships in a way that it's ongoing. Like it'll never be a time where everything's just set and forget. So let's get these communication skills down. Even in sex education, the omission of those types of things, boundaries, yeah. consent, et cetera, it teaches us the tools that we need in order to navigate relationships and to avoid abuse and to identify it. And for people who have the potential to be abusers to not be abusive. And so when we're able to manage our relationships by setting boundaries, honoring boundaries, teach people not only to create your own boundaries, but to respect the boundaries of others, that's when we have adults that are able to do that. And it doesn't exclusively apply to sex. I have very little hope for sex ed, unfortunately. That's why I think you and I are both on the internet. But have you seen those pictures of like kindergarten classrooms where they have like, you point to how you want to be greeted today, like the high five, the hug, the handshake, like I that. that so much. I want every kid to do that because that's such a formative time and you're like instantly learning boundaries and consent and like, what do I want? What would make me happy? What kind of touch would make me happy? Because I know, like, especially, I mean, I'm going to make a blanket statement for women. It's like, we don't know how we want to be touched or how we don't want to be touched until later in life. We just accept whatever is given slash thrust upon us. And we're like, oh, I guess this is cool. And it's like, well, no, we should have fucking figured that shit out a long time ago. I, this is kind of off topic, but kind of not. I have never liked being casually touched, even like my arms or in the workplace. I'm just so not touchy. And it actually made my mom really sad when I was a kid. She tells me that I just came out of the womb and then was like, peace woman. And I would cry when she tried to cuddle me. But I've my whole life, now that I'm older, I'm much better. I welcome it from select people. But I would always feel bad for telling people like, no, don't touch me. I thought I was the weird one and I was making this situation uncomfortable. It's like, no, I just legitimately don't like fucking being touched. 
and now I'm the weird one because I was never told that it was okay to say no and it's not even in a sexual context it's just ah don't come in for a hug I don't fucking want to hug you and I know I know you and I see you three days a week but don't fucking touch me and yeah so when I see those little like kindergarten grade one things I'm like yo I I fucking needed that because I thought I was weird for like 20 years of my life yeah that is something that's completely relevant here because not only that but it teaches uh, like women aren't taught to identify how they want to be touched. Men, however, are taught how women want to be touched. Women don't know what they want. Like you're supposed to search yourself. And that's something that we just do with no kind of uh, resistance at all as people. Like men, especially um, in positions of power, because it's like, oh, hey, sweetie, or whatever it is that you're <laughs> saying to, I know, right, <laughs> to a person, because uh, I think about it, if I'm coming over to ask a question, my intention behind it is, I'm probably about to say something that's going to inconvenience you, and it's going to take away from whatever it is that you're doing. So let me welcome you with warm, gentle touch on the shoulder, regardless of that being my intention, you know, again, this is something that's been programmed into me of, uh, talking to people so patting a guy on the back hey can you take a look at this report for me or if my manager is a woman being like oh hey how you doing flirty now can you look at this report for me and i noticed hearing you saying that i was like damn i did that a lot all the time there i don't mm -hmm. think there was ever a time where uh it didn't happen unless it was just somebody that i knew didn't want to be touched and in that case how do you classify that person in your mind? You're like, oh, they're antisocial or some, oh, yeah. type, some type of a negative connotation with that. But again, this is one of those things that needs to be taught very young. And it doesn't, it applies to sex, but it's not exclusive to sex. And the omission of this kind of communication skills in sex education really makes me wonder like, what what's the intention here? Because we're telling people not to have sex knowing that they're going to have sex we're telling them to uh, just wear a condom knowing that there's going to be an instance where condoms aren't used i mean and you, you, even using me as an example the first time i had sex without a condom nobody got pregnant nobody got an sci so now it's like huh what else did you got lie to me about let me go mm -hmm. out here and venture off and explore what else i can get away with right and then you do it long enough and there's no consequences or no perceived consequences so being able to educate and say hey you might get an SCI, you might not have symptoms with it and just carry on that conversation outside of the comfort zone of abstinent only sex education allows for me to be someone who hears, yeah, I haven't been tested in eight months and then go, all right, well, you know, you should do that before we decide to have sex because you may have something that isn't showing any symptoms and be able to navigate that conversation with confidence and also yeah, just be more informed and educated and be able to play more safe because like Dwayne Carter said it best, safe sex is great sex, better wear latex. You don't want that latex, I think I'm latex. I've never heard that. Have you heard the song Lollipop? I don't know. I'm terrible with song names. Look, 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 look like a lollipop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Dwayne Carter. Lil Wayne. Oh, okay. Lil Wayne's real name is Dwayne. Oh my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, if you just had said Lil Wayne, then maybe I would have known. No one fucking uh, calls him Dwayne Carter. He calls himself Dwayne Carter all the time. I never heard. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Please leave that in. <laughs> I will. I will. Oh, uh, so yes, 
there's there's just so much to be learned from that experience that I had just from revisiting boundaries and like it, it changed the way that I do relationships now in a way that I feel comfortable now if I do end up getting an SCI I feel safe knowing that I'm going to be able to take the action steps needed in order to move forward keeping myself safer and my partner safer or at least just as informed as they can be because like now that's like I recognize what it is that I'm saying by choosing to engage in a sexual act with someone. I'm saying that, okay, well, and, and it's just like with COVID, if I'm engaging with someone without a mask on or if we're close to six feet, then I'm saying, okay, I am okay with uh, if I get COVID from this person. And the same thing with sex. It's possible that I might get an STI from this person or give this person an STI. I have to be okay with that. That's what's being said whenever we allow ourselves into these intimate interactions. So knowing that I want to make sure that this is someone who after, if, if things hit the fan, if I do test positive for something, if they test positive for something, we both feel comfortable and safe enough to go to one another for support as it's needed. Yeah. So this is kind of a blanket question. Obviously everyone's different. You talk to a lot of people. Do you think men or male identifying people handle positive STIs? That that's the one. <laughs> Do you think people with penises handle positive STI results differently than people with vulvas? I think that uh, I don't want to speak for everyone. I'll speak yeah. to the experience that I have um, in my range of perspective. Men don't handle these well men they find out they take care of it and then they go on about their business so very rationally there's not really a man who could i've gotten this from how could they do this to me why would they do this to me i wonder who they were sleeping with me who they were sleeping around with me uh on with me who did they cheat on me with like that's eliminated from your question dudes are like damn i got chlamydia it was probably so and so let me take these pills all right i gotta go back to work and that's it. Whereas with women, I've seen so much more beyond just the, the get it taken care of and move on about your day. It's been, damn, I wonder how long ago I got this. I wonder how it could have happened and when it could have happened. And I bet he was sleeping with so-and-so. And then you do all the social media creeping and stalking and you have to like have closure through a narrative. You need a response from the guy or assuming that this is a hetero relationship, you need a response from them in order to be able to move on. But the emotions that come with it are also being dealt with. Whereas with the man, it's the male identifying person, the penis haver owner, that person is likely repressing whatever it is that they're feeling about this, but it's so just logical for them to just continue on and move forward in relation to and I, I hate to use herpes as the example, considering we're talking about media. But in this case, I see that men take it really, really hard because they don't know how to deal with the discomfort of emotions. Whereas women, they seem to take it hard because they're so emotional and they are able to put words to what it is that they're feeling and they identify that. With guys, it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. With women, they're like, I'm sad. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I just want to know why. So in my experience, women have more language to their emotions and are more likely to go through the emotions and seek support. Men are likely to try and do this on their own, process it on their own, 
or just avoid it altogether until they absolutely have to, which would be, you know, in the sense of with something like herpes, where you now need to disclose that. And it's not something that just goes away. So now it's, I don't know, I'm confused. I just don't understand. Like, I can't comprehend. And the thing that they can't comprehend are the feelings that they have. The first part of what you said is really interesting. And I knew, like I said, the question was a blanket statement. And then the first thing you said, I was like, oh, that wasn't my experience. Like I didn't even give someone an STI, but they found out I had one and that's why I stopped sleeping with them. Shout out to everyone who's listened to episode 10. And like they went off into their emotions. And I guess, yeah, they didn't handle it well. Maybe they didn't have language for it. They went into all that. Who are you sleeping with? Why wasn't it me? Like jealousy and confusion and all these things. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. Were you surprised? Were you surprised by their response? Well, it was kind of like a, cause at first they were really kind and gentle with me. And then like, after I left, like then I started getting the barrage of like, who, who is he? What does he look like? Where does he live? How did you meet him? How long have you known him? And I was Toxic like, masculinity, wow. right? I was like, dude, you're not even mad about the fucking herpes. You're mad that <laughs> I was with someone else when you very explicitly didn't want to be in a, in a, a monogamous relationship with me. Like, I thought we had an understanding. If you were mad that we can't sleep together now because I have herpes, which by the way, he already fucking got cold sores a bunch anyways. Like, and he never told me that. Like, this guy already had herpes anyways. My point was that, like, he did go into all that who, what, why stuff. But I think it was rooted in jealousy, not the STI, because you fucking already had it anyways, but yeah. yeah. So he was just nice and then threw a hissy fit when he didn't get what he wanted and somebody else did. The thing is, I was sleeping with him before and then I obviously stopped. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I miss that part? <laughs> yeah. Like I was sleeping with him before, but then I stopped because I was processing a diagnosis. And then I told him about a month in, which honestly, I'm still very proud of myself because a month in having that conversation rationally is very impressive. And he was fine because I did it in person. He was fine. And then after it was like jealousy, rage, confusion. And I was like, sir, no, 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 no. And then I've told people this before, four months later, he like came back with like a half-assed apology in my text messages. I sent him a thumbs up and that was it. I never replied more than that. You're nice to me, I would have left him on red. Well, I didn't have red receipts. So I wanted him to know that I had received it and I didn't (laughs) give a fuck. So the thumbs up, yeah, thumbs up was next best. On that note, do you have maybe two pieces of advice for men? Not even when it comes to handling positive results, but when it comes to handling the talk of sexual health or anything that you just wish more dudes would talk about? Because I wish that dudes would be a part of this conversation publicly. You're one of few that I know, and I know that I'm not the only woman that just wants more dudes to talk about this. All right, so as a cisgender straight man, when I open up the conversation about sexual health with women, you see their fucking heads explode and not in a bad way. It's happened a handful of times where they're just like, 
I'm just not used to guys asking me uh, about my SCI status. Like, I, I don't even know what I was tested for. I just know that I got tested and everything came back negative. And the conversation extends beyond just sexual health. It also goes into some boundaries. It also goes into negotiations of what you're going to do in bed, like what's okay, what's off limits. Being able to have that conversation sets a foundation for safety. And if more men knew that, less women would be surprised when someone comes along and asks them, well, what do you like? What do you want? And part of that is because we've been conditioned to, we're supposed to be confident and know what we're doing when we go into the bedroom. We're supposed to just know what women like. But the dialogue that takes place to figure that out, the exploration that takes place once you're once you figured it out or as you're going through the process of figuring it out, these make disclosing your STI status, it makes the conversation so much sexier than just, hey, I have herpes, do you? Hey, I want to know if you have any STIs. It's not supposed to be robotic like that. <laughs> and it can uh, potentially serve as foreplay even, but just being able to get that dialogue going it's something that we all want to do we all need to do so if you want to take that concept of being a man as being a leader and being uh assertive then you can apply it here and be the one who initiates the discussion about your sexual health be the one who initiates the discussion about what what's off limits like how can i how can i respect your boundaries how can i make you feel safe how can we have a good time in a safe caring way and for you to feel that you're cared for and have a pleasant experience i'm trying to leave you with top five dicks so i need to know this information <laughs> like right here right now and that's how the conversation needs to be approached five stars uh, in the group chat that's what you're going for. Right? <laughs> girl, if you if you don't say that long ass girl, or just like big eyeballs or something. But, and also I hear from women often that a lot of guys don't do foreplay. Foreplay is just kind of like, I don't know, like a couple of minutes of oral or something. But yeah, like that's, that's the thing. Like dudes kind of go in jackhammer style because that's kind of what we're told and don't consider using toys. Don't use lube like that whole, oh, I don't need lube cause I'm going to get you wet. That, that's, you can still use lube. I wish people ass. could see my face right now while Courtney's talking. I'm just like in disgust. Yeah, uh, but see, and I, I have a unique perspective because not only have I been able to talk to so many women about their experiences through an SCI diagnosis and getting to a more healed space of their sexuality and sexual experiences and learning to assert boundaries and just how sexy it is for someone to have honor and respect your boundaries. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know shit because it landed me into this space of having an SCI, still wanting to be sexually involved with people and having to navigate around that, like navigating around outbreaks, navigating around discomfort. You know, what are some ways that we can be with one another and have closeness and a sexual energy exchange a body part may be off limits for in that moment on that day right so the sex toys the the lube having condoms i'm learning about dental dams i didn't know about dental dams until ray came along from a positive results and understanding that these are things that don't inhibit pleasure they in fact enhance pleasure 
because now you're able to more freely explore in a safer way without the concern of, damn, I hope this person doesn't give me an STI or damn, if this condom breaks or like, you know, taking the risk, like when you remove a little bit of the risk of it by placing things in place ahead of time that serve as safety measures, part of that safety being communication, right? Then you set yourself up for a much more pleasurable experience between or more of you. Yeah, I want to highlight and I think end on one word you were saying over and over in that conversation is safety and feeling safe. Oh, I thought we were going to say communication at the same time. No, feeling safe <laughs> is the yes. biggest turn on. I don't think we're ever told that. And until you figure it out later in life, I remember like, I don't know, maybe I was in my early to mid twenties and I was like, no, that's it. Like safety is the number one fucking turn on. And if I feel safe, it's going to be a good time. And like, we're all trying to have a good time. So no, like men, you don't have to know everything. Just ask us. And when you ask questions, you feel safe. And that just leads to good sex. Courtney, thank you very much for being here. I would like to ask you to give us one brag and remind people where they can find you, your work, and your resources. <laughs> I'll tell you after the show. <laughs> what? No! No, no, I'm gonna give you something now, but I'm gonna tell you what I thought. <laughs> One of my brags is that You're something positive for positive people has launched group therapy. Uh, we recently raised $320 for our first group therapy session that took place on January 28th. We had eight people show up. This was a peer-led support meeting that was facilitated by a licensed mental health professional. The feedback that has come in from that has led to the creation of what will hopefully be five cohorts of up to 12 people that each have their own licensed mental health professional that is leading these groups so that there can be something tangible in place. Like support groups are great, but they're only about a fraction of what it is that we need because what do you say to someone who, you know, everyone's talking about their diagnosis, everyone's talking about their experience, but what do you say to that person who was assaulted and had a child as a result of it and got herpes and they're sitting there bouncing their two-year-old on their leg, keeping them calm as they try to calmly express what they're feeling about their diagnosis? What do you say to that person who has experienced just the most traumatic of abuse who's been in the post-traumatic or who's experienced PTSD symptoms from a past abusive relationship. The emotions that come up after someone receives a positive diagnosis, that's the stuff that needs to be dealt with that oftentimes just I'm not equipped to deal with. And this was what made me pursue licensed mental health professionals for help and start raising money to be able to pay them for their time so that they can facilitate this healing. Yeah, talking to people, venting, exchanging uh, dialogue with one another in a safe space of community, talking about the same thing, being empathized with, this is cool, but there are so many patterns uh, that are uh, that, that have these like inconsistencies between our behaviors and our beliefs that shape our patterns. And these are the things that need to be dealt with that we're just not equipped to as peers. So for someone who has experience with trauma, who has experience with um, helping people navigate different mental health statuses, this is where the healing can take place. And perhaps, you know, these healed people can go on to heal people. And these can be people who are more confident in talking through their SCI diagnosis, having disclosures and 
can also go off and start podcasts about their experiences so that more and more people are able to find safe havens for themselves after their diagnosis without having to go through the struggles and challenges that I had with mine. It took me four years to find anything and it took me four more years to know that there was anything else that I needed to deal with or that I was escaping or running away from other things in regards to my mental health and the patterns that I had. So that's my brag. I'm really pumped to be able to do this. I'm really pumped that people trust me enough with their email addresses <laughs> and being able to get them into these support groups that are led by a licensed mental health professional. I'm pumped about that. Okay, so where can they find you? If they wanna get involved with that. You can find me and say, Louie rolling up. No, nah, I shouldn't <laughs> say that because you don't, you don't know your music, I'm sorry. Um, you can find me at www.spfpp.org. That's just the acronym for something positive for positive people. And it's .org, not .com. You can also find me, I'm most active on Instagram for now, at H on my chest. Best way to get in touch with me would be through the website. If you want to reach out to be a part of this therapy, if you are someone who wants to make a donation to our efforts to provide mental health services for people who are struggling with SCI stigma, if you want to share your story, even on the podcast, I host something positive for positive people. Don't hesitate to reach out or if you want to just write in your story anonymously for the blog something positive from positive people perfect thank you so much thank you for getting chlamydia and letting me exploit it and thanks for being you and now i'm going to stop record and i'm going to get that top secret brag from you okay so he's amazing right while i can't tell you his top secret brag I am going to share a few things that didn't come up. First of all, chlamydia is usually tested for through urine, but it can also be tested for with swabs of the vagina, anus, urethrifer, penises, and the mouth. Chlamydia is bacterial, not viral, and if you just get a swab below the belt, you're not going to know if you have chlamydia in your throat or not, which totally happens. If you were having unprotected oral, ask your doctor for a throat swab as well. Every clinic and doctor seem to have different protocols, so you really have to be the one in charge of your own sexual health and ask for what you want. Tell them why you want it because of the acts you did in whichever location on your body. We are our own advocates, okay? And guess what? Swab tests for men can show false negatives. Isn't STI testing, like, so fun? <laughs> As Courtney mentioned, and you've heard me say a hundred times, it is possible for this STI do not show symptoms, which means you don't know if you have it or not. Just go pee in a cup, okay? The consequences of not getting treated is worse for women, as it can lead to infertility through what is called PID, pelvic inflammatory disease. Basically, the bacteria travels up the vagina, passes through the cervix where it can then infect the womb, fallopian tubes, and ovaries, which in turn affects fertility. If you get it treated, this is not gonna happen. Yay! You can get chlamydia many times over, so make sure you're practicing safer sex. Chlamydia is the number one reportable STI in the U.S. and Canada, according to the CDC and Canada Public Health. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
Share this link far and wide, leave five-star reviews, and follow me on Instagram at Positively Positive Podcast. Check out the website, PositivelyPositivePodcast.com, for reliable HSV resources and options to support the podcast or say thanks. Buy me a coffee, join the Patreon, or get yourself a Positively Positive sticker. If you just want to say hi, email me at PositivelyPositivePodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail on Anchor. I'm out here, okay? It will always be me reading all your messages. You are not alone. I'm living positively positive, and you can too.